Hi everyone and welcome to For Fact's Sake, the Ferrets podcast about misinformation and fact checking. I am your host, Ali Bryan, and with me, the patriarch of podcasting, Paul Dobson. How are you doing, Paul? I'm very well, Ali. Yeah, that's right. I'm surveying the podcasting world like Logan Roy. Um, exactly. Very much enjoying the commitment and creativity of these puns each week. Still interested to see how long you can keep it up for. But We will see. We will see. This week is a special episode to tie in with our current series, Scotland and the Climate Crisis. Now, this is a fact-checking series. It's a long time in the making that's come out of suggestions and comments from our members. It was voted for by our members initially. Uh, we had a meeting in a Glasgow cafe uh, to launch the project. And then over 100 of our listeners, readers, members commented with their suggestions and ideas that we should put into the uh, pieces. And all of the articles that are coming out of the series this week are from suggestions from our members. We have a special interview this week, Ali. Isn't that right? Could you tell us a wee bit more about it? Yeah, we are going to interview Mikey Biddleston, who is a researcher who looks into why people believe in conspiracy theories and how you can stop that, um, particularly related to uh, climate change and COVID-19. And he'll be telling us all about the current climate denialism movement, why people are drawn to it, and the ways we can kind of stop people from believing in things that are harmful to themselves and to the community. Cool. Shall we get on with it? Let's do it. Mikey Biddlestone. I'm a postdoc researcher uh, at UCL, um, but I research uh, generally the psychological processes involved in believing misinformation and conspiracy theories uh, and how we can intervene on those beliefs as well. Excellent. So the series we've been putting together at the fair this uh, week is called Scotland and the Climate Crisis. Um, obviously, there's a strong scientific consensus that climate change is real and it's being caused by human activity. But climate skepticism is still huge. Why do you think that is? So in terms of like a very influential framework that we kind of use to understand why people believe in conspiracy theories, I think that's maybe a good place to start because I think that's really relevant in the case of climate change. So um, we kind of talk about three main motive types that make you susceptible to believe in conspiracy theories. Mm. The first one is like epistemic. So kind of um, the cognitive processes, uh, a need for certainty, essentially. So when you feel uncertain, you want to make sense of your environment in order to be able to predict it uh, and also to feel safer. So feeling safer is the existential part of the motives as well. So you want to feel secure. And when you feel insecure, you want to kind of reach out and regain a sense of control over your environment. And one way that you can do that is by kind of uh, accusing a supposedly antagonistic outgroup as being responsible for all of these negative circumstances. And that's the social motive. So we have epistemic, existential and social motives. And I think the big one is existential. So the, the um, kind of theoretical thing is that the start of the process of this is uh, you have worries about the world, you have anxieties. Mm. And how do we deal with those things? And sometimes people deal with them by uh, maybe careful consideration of evidence. We put a lot of effort into researching what the actual answer is, right? Uh, other people may uh, sort of compensate for this by um, adopting easy answers for your problems, right? And the way that this seems to be seems to work is like two ways. So you can either kind of exaggerate the problem or you can play the problem down. And I think mm. with climate change, I think people are so overwhelmed by the uh, prospect of the world basically, you know, 
being engulfed in flames and, and you know ending immediately it just feels like a a, a movie that that can't be real right um, so the way that you can deal with that is by playing down the threat and saying, no, 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 this can't be true. What's happening is there's this big lie, which is that, you know, we're not all going to you know, die in a ball of flame. Um, we need to find out who these colluders are that are lying to us and telling us this is happening. And I think that's a kind of yeah, boiled down version of where that process starts, at least. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, we're seeing the climate crisis ramping up. You look at the soaring temperatures around Europe and around the rest of the world over the last week or so. So do you have a sense that as the climate sort of becomes more of a threat or perceived as more as a more of a threat that people are becoming more insecure? And is that leading to like a growth in the amount of climate science denial we're seeing? It's an interesting question. I'm, I'm not sure how easy it is really to measure like increase in people's beliefs yeah. in, in climate change, right? Unless you do a sort of very intensive, you know, mm-hmm. over the years kind of survey. That being said, I do think that there has been a, a, a wider proliferation of climate uh, climate skepticism disinformation and i think that it adapts to the new uh sort of cultural perceptions of climate change right so what i mean by that is like you're saying you know there's a lot more physical evidence right in front of us that climate change is happening and that the climate crisis is imminent right so what a lot of people who essentially benefit from spreading conspiracy theories playing down the threat of climate change what they can do is think of new ways to have like an entertaining reason as to why this this is not all true you're all being lied to and come up with new kind of um uh manipulations of evidence that supposedly shows how you know there's this you're uncovering this special unique knowledge that no one else has and we need to tell the world what the truth is you know um i think that's an element of it is this kind of uh contemporary adoption of like updating the disinformation that they spread about climate skepticism do you have a sense of what the kind of main um myths around climate change are currently and uh like where they've come from yeah i think um the ones that i see the most and seem to be most relevant i think are the ones about kind of fake experts right so climate change conspiracy theories are really strongly related to this kind of anti-science attitudes and the belief that you know scientists are lying there's this big collusion between scientists I think the uh, really effective ways of kind of um, making people aware of the manipulation tactics of climate change skepticism, disinformation, is uh, this notion of like fake experts, right? So what will often happen is probably someone will, um, for example, from a a company that benefits from uh, playing down their role in the climate crisis, may pay certain experts who aren't actually experts in the field that they're talking about with climate change to push their, you know, ideals that make individuals more responsible for their carbon footprint as opposed to this company who's you know spreading uh pollution and and, and burning fossil fuels at a way higher rate than individuals can um mm-hmm. so that's why i think that the kind of that anti-science element the the academic sort of uh conspiracy theory is really important into the climate change uh, disinformation movement um that being said you know i think the other claims are kind of more fragmented right it's quite hard to actually pin down what people believe in because they're such specific things that uh people will come up with you know i think it depends how how extreme you want to go i think some people believe in the kind of jewish space lasers type realm of conspiracy <laughs> theories you know if they go really extreme uh that you know all of the reasons that the there's we're seeing evidence of climate change may be because of some um almost supernatural technology you know that's being hidden from us uh you know that kind of thing so i think a lot of the technological and scientific conspiracy theories tend to dominate, I think, in the, in the climate change realm, definitely. Referring to the people who are maybe, or maybe scientists or maybe experts, but not in the fields in which they talk about. That was a thing that was huge during COVID, 
Great Barrington Declaration against yep. lockdowns and mm-hmm. various other people who are currently push, pushing things about the vaccine. Maybe they've got doctor in front of their name, but if you dig deeper, their area of expertise is not, exactly. is not you know, for example, it's not virology in the case of COVID or it's, they're not climate scientists. They're just, mm-hmm. they have a doctorate of some sort. It's that appeal to that authority yep. and it kind of gives exactly. them an authority, particularly kind of alternate authority to what people consider to be the kind of climate consensus. No, for sure. And I think just on that, like, I mean, the one thing is that the ones COVID and climate change are the big ones, I think, because there's such a global threat, right? Like everyone is sort of in some ways in the same boat. We're all, we're all uh, staring down the barrel of this, you know, like global threat, right? Um, and that means that as a sort of grift or as a, as a company element, this is wide scale benefits on doing something about it by spreading disinformation, right? If they need to benefit from it. So that's the one thing. I think the second thing where you're talking about fake experts is that um, there's this sort of well, I don't think it's, it's you know, a, a written down playbook, but I think there is this kind of like uh, learning from their, their processes playbook where, for example, the right wing have kind of succeeded in some elements of the extreme right wing, I, su- I should say, where they've sort of intellectualized a lot of like white nationalist talking points and stuff. And I think that's mm-hmm. a really, not that that's not new, not that that's new, but like, I think that there is a modern version of that, right, where we see in the alt-right or Proud Boys kind of thing, they sort of adopt new dog whistles and stuff and I think one of the things of that is to intellectualize the ideas and use new words for what we're talking about and I think that's often what the COVID and, and climate change uh, sort of fake experts yeah. do is they they give like you're saying a, a sense of authority uh, and they intellectualize these things and make it seem like you're a smart person for talking about this as opposed to someone who's not actually uh, being reflective on the evidence and really looking at the veracity of the evidence you know. You talked about that one of the reasons people come towards conspiracy theories is because of reducing a threat or a threat mm-hmm. that they see themselves did COVID sort of act as a, a microcosm of that with climate change? Because obviously that was a threat that kind of came out of nowhere to 100% lockdowns in a few months and naturally reacted against the science and that and the kind of fear of that. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, exactly that, basically. So that's why I mentioned the kind of global threat thing, right? I think that mm. when it's such a pervasive existential threat to the world, I think that's when we'll probably end up seeing things like people playing down the threat a lot more, right? Because yeah. Uh, yeah. sometimes, you know, um, you know, we... I'm trying to think of an example but like but in, in other times you know we think of we see things where like an event will happen and really it's kind of a straightforward sort of chance element that's a little bit you know there's a political i don't know scandal or something right yeah um and when you exaggerate that threat that's when you kind of need it to be more entertaining more interesting something else is going on there i think that's what tends to happen maybe in the political realm but when we're talking about this sort of like you know uh, our lives death anxiety the world is going to end that's when i think that they end up you know playing down the threats with these conspiracy theories yeah I'm interested in what you said um, about sort of experts and that kind of clash of experts um, mm. and the way that many of the claims that we see spreading, false claims on social media, have already been debunked by experts or fact checkers or you know other people with expertise on climate change. So why do you think they're still spreading? Is it just because there's a kind of dismissal of any expertise that you don't agree with, or is there other reasons for that? Yeah, I think I think there's an element of dismissal, but I think also this is plays into that i think the nature of conspiracy narratives right so one of the things about conspiracy narratives that's a a kind of defining feature is this lack of falsifiability right it's not scientific at all uh you're making claims that basically can't be tested a lot of the time which means that like when someone says hey by the way i've just debunked what you're saying what you can then say is oh you're part of the conspiracy you know and done so then you don't have to engage in that argument anymore so i think what it is is that you can just dismiss everything using that that conspiracy logic you know and um uh, that's why they're so sticky. You know, that's why I think they 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 
are so pervasive and they last for so long, like you're saying, even when the evidence has been debunked. That being said as well, there's also this psychological effect, which is the continued exposure effect, which is that even when someone internalizes the fact that something that's been debunked to them uh, is wrong, as in they accept the fact that they were wrong and they move forward mm. and say, yep, you're right, I was wrong, thank you for fact-checking me. You ask them a week later, they'll actually still believe that original misinformation that got debunked. So there is this kind of thing that needs to be um, repeated, uh, sort of hitting you over the head with the debunk or the fact check, you know, which is quite depressing. But it just means that we need to put way more resources into spreading those, uh, you know, um, scientific narratives that you're, that you're mentioning there. We talk a lot about social media on this podcast um, and its sort of responsibility for spreading misinformation and disinformation but i think on the climate crisis traditional me- media's coverage can often yo-yo from sort of underplaying the problem to then sensationalizing mm-hmm. um and i think that like from my perspective that particular way of covering the issue creates sort of quite a confusing environment do you think that's the case and does that create space for conspiracy theories to flourish I mean, I think we saw that with COVID as well, right? Is this yeah. like maybe lack of, of um, planning and understanding on how to deal with this long-term threat in the news, right? Because it's this kind of ongoing thing where things will pop up and then go away and pop up and then go away, you know? So yeah, yeah I, th- I think you're absolutely right that there's this uh, flip-flopping back and forth between sensationalization and playing down the threat. And uh, also there's this thing about like, oh, we're just questioning and doing our due diligence as journalists, you know? But But that plays into the kind of false balance element of things, you know, where basically we know that there's a huge amount of consensus on the fact that the climate crisis is about to happen. Um, yet, you know, there's things where, you know, we'll have a debate on the news sometimes, you know, where it's someone saying like, oh, well, actually this very specific point that you found, you know, in a graph or something may not be exactly what you're saying. It's like, okay, but the grand scale of things is that yeah, you know, totally. this, this climate crisis is going to occur. So I think that's an element of it to me is this kind of false balance, you know, that journalists uh, feel that they're doing the right thing. And I think there's, there's good intentions there sometimes, but actually what they're doing is they're just obscuring the, the narrative and the argument and the science, of course, yeah. What do you think social media platforms can actually do to halt climate misinformation? It's actually really hard to to uh, curb misinformation using the social media platform stuff. I think one of the main things is that we don't really know how algorithms work, right? So, um, you know, that being said, there, there's kind of obvious things that I think that we, uh, as the public using platforms like Twitter and stuff, mostly agree on is this expectation that on Twitter, the... Um, I mentioned fake experts, you know, this element that you yeah. that you buy your way into legitimacy with the blue tick. Mm-hmm. That's probably a bad thing in terms of being open for people to manipulate that and give a mm-hmm. false sense of authority in spreading misinformation. There's that, which is, you know, essentially in a general way, like uh, how, how can we be careful about the new uh, things that we bring in, in in social media that maybe may make the platform vulnerable to people using manipulation techniques. Um, but really, like, I mean, a lot of it is based on legitimacy through how much people agree with something regardless of whether something is correct or not right so i just think that social media is an environment that's just always going to be open to this manipulation and this yeah so really like sorry to give such a a wishy-washy answer but i don't really think there is a kind of silver bullet online other than maybe being more open about their um their kind of um api uh, information right and that means that they give away their unique selling point as a platform which means that's never going to happen so yeah. i'm not really sure that there's a, a quick fix on that other than maybe uh targeting certain accounts that seem to be spreading the most misinformation there's some evidence that disinformation comes from uh, a very small number of accounts um but then spreads after yeah. that right so there seems to be these arbiters of, of disinformation so i think that's one thing to, to target uh, but yeah, again, otherwise, I think, you know, mostly we need to target people's actual uh, psychological resistance against being able to detect these manipulation techniques and this information. 
that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of For Fact's Sake. Thanks very much to Mikey uh, for joining us this week and also to all of our members who gave us ideas for the climate fact-checking series. You can check the whole thing out on our website. That's theferret.scot. And where else can you give us feedback if you know there's ideas or feedback you want to give us on the pieces so far? Yeah, you can contact us via all of our social media platforms uh, at Ferret Scott on Twitter, The Ferret on Facebook and Instagram, or you can email direct factcheck at theferret.scot um, for any suggestions or feedback or anything you think you would like developed out of the series. The whole thing was voted for initially by our members and developed out of a series of surveys which we put to our members. So yeah, we're very, very keen to hear your feedback and very grateful that you've helped us to kind of put the whole thing together in the first place and hopefully it's been useful. Absolutely, and it's something we might do more of in the future. So if there's suggestions for other topics we could do something similar on, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Definitely. And if you found this series useful uh, and you want to help us make more, then please consider donating to The Ferret or signing up as a member for just £5 a month. Theferret.scot forward slash subscribe is where you'll get that information. We will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.